Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. In our second to last message in this series, we're going to look at the last recorded story of King Saul's life before he dies in battle. We're going to conclude this series, I believe, next Sunday night, but tonight we look at a familiar story for many. It's the story of when Saul visits the witch at Endor, and he goes to visit the witch at Endor. I want us to turn and and look. Let's look at the first six verses and in 1 Samuel 28, and I see Carrie back there. Good to have you in church and your sisters. We're glad you're here this morning and tonight. 1 Samuel 28, verse number 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for warfare to fight with Israel. And Achish said unto David, Know thou assuredly that thou shalt go out with me to battle, thou and thy men. David is in a lapse of faith. He is in, in with the Philistines, with, with the enemies of Israel. <clears throat> and David said, Surely thou shalt know what thy servant can do. And Achish said to David, Therefore will I make thee keeper of mine head forever. Now Samuel, the prophet of Israel, so you recall, Samuel was the prophet, and then Saul became the king. Samuel was the one that had anointed him. Samuel was dead, and and all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah, even in his own city. And Saul had put away those that had familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. And so earlier in Saul's reign, Saul had made a good decision. He had gotten rid of uh, of, of fortune tellers, of mediums, of those that deal in the, the dark arts, if you will. And he had said that it basically made it illegal in Israel to set up shop with that. And, and uh, the Bible does talk about the fact that when the righteous rule, that there's peace that comes to a country, that, that, there is the, that those that love God rejoice. And it's a blessing when those that are over a country lead by biblical principles and values. And when they don't, it does bring uh, a curse and sometimes difficulty onto the life of the citizens. And so Saul had done some things good. He had put those things out in verse 4, and the Philistines gathered themselves together and came and pitched in Shunem, and Saul gathered all Israel together, and they pitched in Gilboa. And would you read verse 5 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. And when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart greatly trembled. And now would you read verse 6 aloud? Ready, begin. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by prophets. When Saul inquired of the Lord, when he, when he would pray, God didn't answer. When he would, uh, when he would sometimes in those days, you'll see where, uh, where, where different folks will get visions or dreams and God would come to them, Joseph and others in the Old Testament. Saul, Saul didn't get any answers in that way. The Urim, you had um, on the, the breastplate there, the Urim and the Thummim, that would have been the idea of even just kind of sometimes they would use today maybe a roll of the dice or one of those magic eight balls where you ask a question and the answer comes up and, and they would sometimes do that. And God at times would use things like that to answer a question for folks in the Old Testament. There were times where things of that nature were used, and Saul couldn't get an answer no matter what he did. The prophets, the, Samuel had died. Saul, what is that verse? And I read that verse, and really what a tragic verse it is. 
When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not. Those verses, verse 5, and he was afraid and his heart greatly trembled. Saul doesn't know it, but he's approaching the end of his life. In fact, the story we're going to read, Samuel's going to predict to Saul that you're about to die, and Saul is just hours away from death at this point. He doesn't know that. He just knows that he's got his army ready to, and, and they're camped in one place getting ready for battle. The Philistine army is camped in another place getting ready for battle. And Saul's trying to figure out, what should I do? It's a lonely place to be as a leader. I, I don't know what to do, and I don't know what decision to make. And, and so he, he inquires of the Lord, and the Bible says, the Lord answered him not. As Saul approaches the end of his life and leadership, he finds himself afraid and in many ways alone. Saul, as we've studied over these last 17 messages, Saul has pushed away so many people that loved him and served with him. His abusive leadership has slowly chipped away at many positive relationships he once had. His selfish and ungodly mindset has isolated him from his family, his own son Jonathan, from servants in his kingdom, from, from the, the one that he could have been training and bringing up that loved him and served him so well, David. Saul's ungodly mindset and his, his ungodly leadership has pushed away so many valuable relationships in his life. Relationships that were good at one point. He has pushed himself away from leaders he had trained, from trusted members of his kingdom, from spiritual influences, and even from God himself. And here he is, alone and afraid. He's going to end up dying basically alone and in disgrace. We'll see it next Sunday night. And tonight I want us to see a message I've entitled, Dangers of an Isolated Leader. Saul finds himself, through really his own actions, isolated. He's pushed away family. He's pushed away godly influences. He's pushed away prophets. He's pushed away those that would speak into his life. He's pushed away trusted servants. He's pushed away military leaders. He has mistreated and abused those around him. And he finds himself, at, toward the end of his life, isolated and separated from these important relationships. Separation and isolation is a scary thing. It can be. It, to be somewhere where you, you, you don't know what you're doing or you don't know what's going on and you're, you're afraid and you're alone and you don't know how it's going to go. Some of you have heard me tell the story shortly after we moved here. I think it was TJ's birthday party. We went to downtown Disney. And uh, at that time, they had a thing where you could go and you could make your own custom remote control cars. And that's what TJ wanted to do for his birthday. And, and I think that this was the night that we did this. And, and we went to downtown Disney and we made that and we stopped in at the Lego store. And I think TJ maybe was nine or 10 for that birthday party, maybe younger than that. I'm not sure, eight or nine. And, uh, and uh, we went with his buddies and we were there and we had a meal and, and uh, we were having a good time. And, and we're walking out. And as we're walking out, there was um, somebody on that kind of that, uh, that platform doing some live music or something there as you're walking what used to be ESPN Zone, Rainforest Cafe right there, if you've been over there. And we're walking out, and we had brought two vehicles, and, 
and uh, to, to bring the kids with us. And, and I got a text, I think it was a text from my wife or either that, or I, I realized I didn't have Trey. And at that time, I think Trey would have only been three or four years old. And, uh, and, and either I remembered, I can't remember all the details, either I realized I didn't have him and I sent somebody up to go check with Tiffany or she sent me a text, I don't remember, and said, hey, just wanna make sure you have Trey, right? I've got, and this is, we have to do this everywhere we go with five kids. All right, I've got these two, you've got those three. And I've got these four, you're taking this one every Wednesday night. We're trying to figure out who's taking who home and, uh, and make sure that nobody gets left at the church. And, and so we're used to doing that. All right, I've got these ones, you've got this one. And she sends me a text, hey, I just wanna make sure. I think it's what she did. You, you got Trey, right? And I, I didn't know if she was joking around and I looked around and I didn't have Trey. And I said, no, I thought you had him. And so I tell Titus or somebody, run up there, see if you can find Trey. And they run up and, and, and they said, no, it's not with mom. He's not there. And I, I mean, downtown Disney's packed. Thousands of people here on a, on a whatever night it was, Friday night or whatever night it was. And, and we're going and all of a sudden realizing Trey had been isolated from us. He was separated. My heart sunk. I began to retrace our steps and I walked back and I started kind of jogging. I said, Titus, you run to the Lego store. See if he's still in there playing with Legos. He's a four-year-old at this point. He, he, I don't know that he knows his phone number. I'm a bad parent. I don't know if we had taught him that. I, I don't know. And, and, and he's four years old in the midst of thousands of people at downtown Disney. And my heart sunk and I knew the percentages were that very likely it was all going to be okay. Very likely he was with a Disney employee or somebody would find him and take him to an employee. We, it would just be a few minutes. But there was that, that, that small percentage in the back of my mind, what if something worse has happened? What if, what if a story that I wouldn't want to walk down that road, what if something were, my, the, the, the majority thought it'll be okay, I was staying calm, but, I, but there was a great fear that came knowing I was separated from my son. And then thinking about his poor little heart, that poor little four-year-old being isolated, being separated and, and all alone and not knowing. And I think it was a good 10 or 15 minutes, which in a situation like that is an eternity. In a situation like that, it was at least 10 minutes and all of a sudden we were walking and eventually we, somebody in our group, one, TJ or somebody looked and said, hey, there he is. And he was standing with a Disney employee. Oh, there he is right over there. And I, I ran over and my heart finally, like my heart that was in the bottom of my stomach and, and, and Tiffany and, and we gave him a big hug and Trey was kind of like, what's, what's going on? What's up? Like he wasn't scared at all because he, he had just stopped where the music was. We kept walking to our car and Trey stopped in the middle of this big crowd and watched whatever they were doing on there. And we didn't realize it till it was too late. But that feeling, there's happened once or twice. I think one other time it actually happened at Disney too. Was it Trey or was it someone else at Disney? We were going into the gates and I'm excited to go get on the first ride and realize one of the five kids is still back at the front gate. We had left him there. Uh, this doesn't happen a lot, but all right, you get five kids and 20 years of raising kids. Some things happen sometimes. And we don't lose them often, but we've lost them a couple of times in that, that fear of isolation. That, that, that feeling of, of not knowing uh, where, that, where you are or what's going to happen in our lives. Great fear and despair can come from being isolated or separated. And that's where Saul is. Look at the rest of the story, chapter 7. I'm sorry, verse 7, chapter 28. So Saul inquires of the Lord and he can't get an answer, verse 7. So he does something they shouldn't do. He decides to take matters into his own hands. Then said Saul unto his servants, seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, meaning she deals and, and, and she's a medium. She does these things, this witchcraft, that I may go to her, inquire of her. And his servants said to him, behold, there is a woman that hath a familiar spirit at Endor. 
And Saul disguised himself. Interesting how we'll cover our sin, isn't it? He disguised himself and put on other raiment. And he went, the two, and two men with him, and they came to the women by night. And he said, I pray thee, divine unto me by the familiar spirit, and bring me him up whom I shall name unto thee. And the woman said unto him, Behold, thou knowest what Saul hath done. She's talking to Saul, and she doesn't know it. How he hath cut off those that have familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. Wherefore then layest thou a snare for my life to cause me to die? I get the idea that maybe she wasn't practicing as actively as she had been, but she had a reputation. People knew she had, she had done these things. And she says, why are you coming to me right now? You know that if I get found out, Saul has said, she's saying this to Saul unknowingly. Saul has said, if I get caught doing this, I'll get put to death. And, and you're, I'm going to get killed. Why are you setting a trap for me? You're not, a, you're, you're not a police officer, are you? She's like, I'm not going to jail, am I? Verse number 10, and Saul swear to her by the Lord, saying, as the Lord liveth, there shall no punishment happen to thee for this thing. Then said the woman, whom shall I bring up unto thee? And he said, bring me up Samuel. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice. And the woman spake to Saul, saying, Why hast thou deceived me? For thou art Saul. I again get the idea that maybe she didn't even expect for a, a person really to kind of come, an apparition or a, a spirit or a ghost or whatever you want to call that, to come back up, that she kind of dealt with these things but didn't expect that. But God allows this to happen so that, so that Saul can hear from God through Samuel. He's dead, and, and she does her thing. And I don't know what it looked like, but she does her thing, and all of a sudden— and the, the, the spirit of Samuel appears there before him, and she gets scared. And what are you doing? You're King Saul. What, why did you make me do this? And the king said unto her, be not afraid. Isn't that interesting? This man that's trembling tells her, be not afraid. For what sawest thou? And the woman said unto Saul, I saw gods ascending out of the earth. And he said unto her, what form is he of? And she said, an old man cometh up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed himself. And Samuel said to Saul, why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? And Saul answered, I am sore distressed, for the Philistines make war against me. Look at this. And God is departed from me, and answereth me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called thee that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do, the desperation of an isolated leader. Then said Samuel, wherefore then dost thou ask of me, seeing the Lord has departed from thee and has become thine enemy? Why are you talking to me? I'm on God's side. If God doesn't want to talk to you, I don't want to talk to you. And the Lord hath done to him as he spake by me, for the Lord hath rent the kingdom out of thine hand. I already told you this when I was alive, Saul. He's given it to, to your neighbor, even to David. Because thou obeyest not the voice of the Lord, nor executest his fierce wrath upon Amalek, therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. And Saul, you've disobeyed over and over and over again. I already told you this. Verse 19, moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. The Lord also shall deliver the host of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Samuel basically says, if you want to know the truth, I don't think you want to know what I have to say. But here's what's going to happen. Your whole army is about to lose the battle, and this tonight is the last night you and your boys will be alive. You're dying tomorrow. Verse number 20, then Saul fell straightway all along on the earth and noticed it again and was sore afraid 
because of the words of Samuel, and there was no strength in him, for he'd eaten no bread all the day nor all the night. And the woman, this witch, came unto Saul and saw that he was sore troubled and said unto him, Thine handmaid hath obeyed thy voice, and I have put my life in my, hand, thy, my, life in my hand and have hearkened unto thy words which thou spakest unto me. Now therefore I pray thee, hearken unto the voice of thine handmaid, and let me set a morsel of bread before thee, and eat that thou mayest have strength when thou goest on thy way. And Saul, ever the prideful one, but he refused and said, I will not eat. I don't need your help. I can do it on my own. Those that tried to help Saul, he was always pushing away. But his servants, together with the woman, compelled him, and he hearkened unto their voice. So he arose from the earth and sat upon the bed. And the woman had a fat calf in the house, and she hasted and killed it, and took flour and kneaded it, and did bake unleavened bread thereof. And she brought it before Saul and before his servants, and they did eat. Then they rose up and went away that night. Literally the last thing we see in this book of Saul until he's dying in battle all alone in disgrace. And here we see Saul started with, it's funny how the Lord's had us in these two series. On Sunday mornings, we've been studying Saul from the New Testament. And on Sunday nights, we've been studying Saul from the Old Testament. And Paul had that terrible start, but finished so well. Saul had such a great start, but finished so poorly. And he comes to the end isolated. I want to give us a few a few thoughts, a few principles tonight to, to take with us from the life of King Saul in this passage that we need to remind ourselves of if we're going to finish our course with joy. Not finish in desperation, not finish in, in discouragement, not finish in, in wickedness and ungodliness. Number one, I want you to see here from the life of King Saul, often isolated leaders lack godly influences. Isolated leaders lack godly influences. I mentioned this a week or two ago. But the question, who can speak into your life? And not only that question, who can speak into your life, but the second question, and maybe even more important, who is speaking into your life? Because all of us would say, oh yes, if, if so-and-so saw something in my life that they wanted to speak into, I'd be open to it. Are they? If they're not, very likely, if people are not speaking into our lives, those that know us and love best and love us most, if they're not speaking into our lives, it's very likely not because there's absolutely never anything in our lives to speak into about. It's probably because they've learned he or she is not going to listen to that. So I'm not going to waste my breath. And Saul had gotten to that place. Nobody could, no, nobody could speak into his life. Samuel couldn't speak into his life. Jonathan couldn't speak into his life. Ahimelech couldn't speak into his life. Nobody could talk to Saul in his life. He had rejected person after person who had tried to speak into his life, David and others. And, and I read an author years ago, a, a statement that has stuck with me. And he said, leaders who can't be questioned usually end up doing questionable things. In your life and in mine, if anybody that ever comes to us with a concern or a question or a disagreement, if they always get the nuclear option, well, if you don't like it, there's the back door. If you don't like it, that's just who I am. Leave me alone. That's a danger. And we're headed down a path of real heartache and heartbreak. If, if every time somebody confronts us with something, it's always a defense. It's always an excuse. It's always a justification. It's always an attack. It's always, well, yeah, that might be me, but what about you? But, and, and be careful. No, we ought to humble ourselves and let people. The Bible talks about godly counsel in the heart of man. It's like a deep well, but the wise draw it out. 
Who have you gone in your life? I try to do this often. There are some people in our church. There are some people on our staff. Of course, my wife. There are some people outside of our ministry that I'll, I'll talk to about different things and ask questions. And we had Wednesday, we had a, a missionary and his wife that were here. They preached in chapel and he served the Lord for 40 plus years and has been a pastor and a Christian school administrator and a missionary. And I talked to him. I said, you've only been here a little bit of time, but as, you're, as you've seen this and you've gotten to know my wife and me just a little bit, what wisdom would you give to us? What would you tell us? And we had a couple weeks ago, Carrie Schmidt, that I've known since I was an elementary age boy, and, and we have a good relationship. And he was here for a weekend and with our staff for a day and with our church for two days and, and in our home and talking with our kids. And I asked him as I was dropping off at a hotel, what would you say to me? What, what do you see? You see any red flags? You see any things you're concerned about? What, what would you tell me as a husband, as a father? How should I deal with this? We walked around with our staff on a food tour during our staff orientation in downtown LA, and we talked much about that whole time about things with family and parenting and child rearing. Why? I have not figured it all out, and I'm not making every perfect decision in those roles of my life. I want some people to speak into my life. How about you? Surround yourself with people who will tell you hard truths. What was the last hard truth you were confronted with about yourself? It's a good question. What was the last hard truth you were confronted with about yourself? His relationship with God was gone. His relationship, Saul's was, with godly mentors was gone. He was in a bad place. Isolation is a dangerous place to be. That's why it can be dangerous for an 18-year-old to graduate after being a part of a godly family and godly community and maybe a Christian school and whatever it might be and growing up. And then at 18, going off on their own. And I teach on Fridays, I teach our senior class. It's just called Life Skills. And really what it is, I ask them, what questions do you have in life and what are you wondering about and financial and and, uh, and, and just different things, dating, whatever, marriage, just whatever it is, whatever questions you have. And I have some stuff that I teach, but, but just on Friday, I was talking with them and they were talking about different, different colleges and different things and different settings. And whether it's a Bible college or a Christian college or a secular college, and we were talking about some of the pros and cons. And what I told them, I said, no matter where God leads you to go, you need to be intentional about intentionally creating Christian community in your life getting accountability, getting some godly people. And if, if the Lord leads you, and, 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 and I thank God for good Bible colleges and good Christian colleges, and sometimes that's not always God's plan or path, and somebody might go to a secular college. I said, wherever God leads you, find, find, a, find uh, on campus, whether there's student groups, and find godly friends, and find, if you can, a local church there. Plug yourself in, no matter where God sends you, why? Because isolation in our Christian lives is so dangerous. The devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. What do lions look for in their prey, isolated from the pack? If I can get them away from their strength, their pack, they're weak and ready for attack. Isolated leaders lack godly influences. You need to be intentional in your life about seeking that out wherever you go, or you can quickly end up in a bad spot. Number two, often isolated leaders lack personal integrity. It's one reason they don't want any godly influences, because they want to do what they want to do. They get lifted up in pride. How do we see that here in this passage? Verse 3, what had Saul done? Verse 3, at the end of it, Saul had put away those that had familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. Look at verse number 7. Then Saul said unto his servants, seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit. It's a good reminder, Christian, that yesterday's successes don't 
guarantee tomorrow's victory. In our lives, yesterday's victories don't guarantee tomorrow's success. We have to wake up and decide to live for God each day. There had been a time and a place when Saul saw the danger of familiar spirits, the danger of sinful influences in his country and in his kingdom, and then he got to a place, he said, nobody can go to those. We're not going to have any of that. It would be like a a governor or a mayor or whatever, a city council. We're going to be a dry county, no alcohol, and then saying, take me to a bar so I can get drunk. At one point, he He saw the danger of this in his kingdom, and then he's seeking it out himself. A lack of personal integrity. What he told others to do, he didn't live himself. Humble leaders can turn into prideful leaders. Spiritual leaders can turn into fleshly leaders. Kind leaders can turn into angry leaders. Loving leaders can turn into bitter leaders. It's true of parents. It's true in marriage. It's true in ministry. Much like Saul, we can start well but finish very poorly. There can be a time when our relationship and communion with God is sweet and is wonderful, and our our closeness in, 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 in relationships in our lives can be wonderful, and we can drift from that, especially when we allow ourselves to be isolated in our own little bubble not letting anybody speak in. We start a a marriage or a job or a career or a college career with focus, with wisdom, with humility, but then we mess it up with carnality, with selfishness, with pride. No, keep doing right day after day when it makes sense and when it doesn't. Number three, isolated leaders. We've already hit this a little bit, but they lack accountability. Look at verse eight. I want you to see this. Verse number eight. And Saul disguised himself and put on the raiment, and he went and, what's the next two words? He went and what church? And two men, two men with him. You see it in verse seven. He said to his servants, seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit. And what did they say? They should have said, Saul, that's not a good idea. They should have said, Saul, you got rid of all of those. They they should, but you know what Saul had surrounded himself with? people that went right along with his wicked choices. Lacked accountability. He had, he had removed everyone in his life that was somewhat maybe of a, of a restraining force in his life of things that he ought not be doing. And those that were around him now, because they had seen how he had treated anybody that stood up. When Jonathan stood up and said, you're wrong, dad. That's not how it should be. You're going to die today, Jonathan. When Ahimelech stood up and talked to him, you're going to die today, Ahimelech. They had seen enough how he had abused and mistreated those that had tried to hold him accountable, that now the only people around him were those that fed in and, and, and enabled his ungodly and hypocritical choices. May I just say, don't run from accountability. Don't isolate yourself from accountability. Seek it out. Seek out accountability in whatever it is, in your work, in your finances, in your personal purity, in your godliness. Seek out that those things are not there to hurt you. Young people, teenagers, young couples, middle-aged couples, all of our lives, seek out accountability in our, in our internet histories and in our conversations, in our text messages, who and what we're texting texting, where we're going, what we're doing, activities we're engaging in. Don't just surround yourself with people that will enable your ungodly choices. No, seek accountability. Have somebody you can be honest with. I'm struggling with this. You know, this is an area of sin that has really got a foothold in my life. I'm struggling. Can you help me? Satan loves for us to keep those things in the dark. Jesus is the light, says get them out and let somebody walk with you through that. Number four, Number four, I see here, isolated leaders don't care who they hurt. Verse nine, she says, 
Why are you doing this to me? You know I could die. And Saul says, you're not going to die. Just the very fact that they've isolated themselves is an indicator that they are what matters most to them. Their ideas matter most. Their kingdom matters most. Their plan matters most. And they will hurt whoever it takes to get what they want. Guard against this. This life is not about you, and it's not about your pleasure and your fulfillment. Your leadership is not about your name or your success or your advancement. Do all to the glory of God. And by the way, we'll even, we get good at wrapping up our mistreatment of others and our ungodly choices in spiritual words. You see it in verse 10? Verse 10, what does he say? And Saul swear to her by the Lord. He brings God into this, saying, as the Lord liveth, there shall no punishment happen to thee for this thing. Verse 11, then said the woman, who shall I bring up unto thee? He said, bring me up Samuel. In verse 12, and when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice. And then Samuel comes, verse 13, and the king said unto her, be not afraid. But this interesting, my fifth thought, isolated leaders will often be gripped by fear. In verse 13, he tells her not to be afraid. But in verse 5 and in verse 20, he was sore afraid. He was paralyzed by fear. Have you ever been alone in unfamiliar surroundings? I've been a couple of times on foreign countries where I don't know the language, and I got separated a little bit from my group, and it can be a, a scary feeling. I'm in a culture that I don't know, with, with laws that I don't know, with, 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 with rules and guidelines I don't know, a language I don't know, I don't, a map I don't know, my phone doesn't work, I'm here, I've got no data, I've got no GPS, I can't get a hold of anybody even if I wanted to. Being alone in certain situations can be a really scary thing. Maybe a late night trip in a part of town you're not familiar with, or a camping trip, or a hike where you get isolated out in the wild, not a fun feeling. We realize that some great dangers can come when we're isolated from a group that aren't there when we're together with a group. It's interesting. I've been also in foreign countries where I don't know the language and the culture. I was in Ukraine with a missionary friend of mine. Our family was there, and we took our whole family there, our first family missions trip. And we were driving along the road, and he was explaining culture, and all of a sudden a police officer pushed us to the side. You got to pull over here. I'm telling you, if I had been driving by myself, I would have been scared to death. I don't know how to talk to him. I don't know what he wants. I've heard there's great corruption in this country with the police officers. I don't know where it's going to go. But he said, oh, this happens all the time. He's just going to try to ask me for a bribe. And I determined I, was, I don't give bribes. I let him know that I'm a pastor. It's, it goes against my, my ethics, my, my morality. I can't do that. And so he's going to pull me over, and he's going to say, oh, do you know why I'm pulling you over? I'm going to say no. He's, and so he goes through, and they're talking in Russian, and he's asking about me, and, you know, he's pointing at me, and what's this guy? And he's talking to him. But in those situations, the feelings are very different if you're by yourself or you're with somebody that knows how to handle themselves in those situations. But being in a group is very different than being by yourself in certain situations. Almost every mountain lion attack comes when someone is isolated, hiking, or running alone. Being alone can be a very scary place to be, and isolated leaders often will be gripped by fear. Just a reminder, we need each other. You need gospel community in your life. It will bring courage and encouragement. It will bring help and love. When we begin to isolate ourselves, even in the midst of a big group, but we just pull away, we begin to get the feeling that everyone and everything is out to get us. 
We start living from a defensive, fear-induced posture instead of a faith-filled, God-honoring posture. Isolating yourself is scary. Letting God and others in brings joy and comfort. And then lastly, verse 19, an isolated leader will end up in heartbreak. Verse 19, moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. The Lord also shall deliver the host of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. I have to imagine at that point, we see it, the next verse, Saul just falls, he falls, his, his knees buckle, he falls, he's laying on the ground and, and just despair. And I have to imagine he's thinking, how did I get here? How did I get to this place? Complete destruction, heartache, strained relationships with family, with, with trusted servants, with leaders in my kingdom. I'm, I'm visiting a witch, something that I told everybody they would get put to death if they did. I've lied, I've, I've cheated, I've, I've been lifted up in pride. All of those seemingly, I have to think, he started thinking about those seemingly small decisions to mistreat Jonathan and to disobey Samuel and to misunderstand David and to dishonor the Lord and to lie led Saul to this place of complete disgrace. This was the beginning of the end. In a few hours, Saul's promising life and his powerful kingdom will be ended in an embarrassing, shameful death. The reminder for us, the takeaway for me from Saul's visit to the witch at Endor, a reminder for all of us, we need God. Oh, I know he said he'll never leave us nor forsake us, but we can choose by our actions to isolate ourselves from him, where we're not hearing anything from him, a hardened heart, a hardened will, a hardened conscience. We can come to church over and over and over again, and the word of God does nothing for us. We can open his word, and it's just words on a page, so we stop opening it. We, we, can get, we can stop praying, and if we're not careful, we isolate ourselves from God. We need God, and we need godly influences. We need family. We need honest friends. We need accountability. Don't isolate yourself. Don't distance yourself from God and godly leaders. Don't live in pride and hypocrisy. I don't care who I hurt as long as I get my way. Seek after God. Live in obedience to His Word. And if you find yourself more and more isolated, may I just say, very likely you are heading for heartbreak and disappointment in your life, division and discouragement, ungodly, wicked choices. Stay close to God. Stay plugged into a godly church. Stay close to Him in His Word. Let Him speak to you. Whatever your age or stage of life, we, do, we cannot afford to be isolated from those things. When we find ourselves there, very quickly, Satan will find prey that he can seek to devour. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.